0: Matt Boudreaux.
1: Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 328 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, mixer, multi-instrumentalist, singer, and songwriter, Alan Evans. This is Alan's second time on the podcast. He first joined us on episode 133. This time around, he talks to us from Massachusetts, where we have a great chat about his studio and his record label and what's been happening lately in his life. And I'm super excited to have him back. You know, he's one of those guys that just seems like, even though we've only met a few times and chatted uh, a few dozen times, I feel like he's an old friend and just, you know, somebody that I've known since grade school or something, right? Fantastic guy. And I'm super happy he's back. So Alan Evans coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about audio dogma. One of the definitions that I've read of dogma is, quote unquote, a point of view or tenet put forth as authoritative without adequate grounds. So, in my experience, I've seen it manifest itself in the form of uh, cork sniffing audio snobs, to those who practice audio traditionalism, to those who accept one form of audio trickery and magic while eschewing others. Nothing drives me more crazy than people saying, You can't make a record with that kind of gear, or those kind of mics. Throwing down absolutes when it comes to making art is laughable at best, and at worst, it's ignorant. Opinions I welcome with open arms, even if I disagree, but declaring that others can't make anything good because they use gear or techniques you disagree with is simply bullshit, my friends. You don't like using drum samples in music? No problem. Just please don't say someone else is less of an engineer if they do. That's just not true. You only record analog? Great, don't ever tell the rest of us who are making a living using DAWs, we're fools. Like mixing in the box? Great, don't claim it's the only right way to do mixing. Audio and the people who do it are working with math and physics, true. But they're also working with opinions, feelings, vibe, soul, and character. Gear is a tool. It it helps you achieve the goal of the project, and no amount of dogma is gonna stop that. My thoughts to the younger up-and-coming engineering pros is use what you can afford to meet the goals of those you are working with. And if you ever hear an absolute coming from the mouth of any other audio professional that claims there is only one way to do anything in audio, look it up, question it, and ask others who are professionals to verify this. You know, it's one thing to say there's a difference between a line and mic level signal, which of course there is, but it's another to say you can only use this mic on one thing, or this plugin never works on insert name of an instrument. Or only pros use this kind of gear, not that kind of gear. The other day, seeing producer, engineer, and songwriter Greg Wells praise the Mackie Mike preamps on Instagram made me pump my fist in the air and say yes, because you know what? They work and they do the job. Are they fancy? No. But remember, friends, if the meal tastes good, nobody gives a rat's ass what kind of pots or stove it was cooked on or the knives used to prep the ingredients. Remember, it's all about the meal. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, They've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Alan Evans, here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Alan, welcome back to the podcast. Man, thank you
0: so much. It's an honor, for sure.
1: It's been quite some time. I'm going to say, I don't know how I would judge this in years, but you were on episode number 133, So, yeah, a little bit of time has passed.
0: Indeed. A lot has changed.
1: Yeah. Well, tell me about that. What's changed? How do things stand now? And let's compare them to when we first talked.
0: Wow. Well, I'm still in the same studio. So, I know that much. One thing I know that happened I remodeled the studio, which was a lot of fun. Oh, it was (laughs) fun. It was fun remodeling oh no it wasn't so um so this happened right after christmas of 2000 last year whatever i had some bands come in and they were doing shooting videos like kind of i was recording them live and they were shooting some videos and i i I saw them i was like man i i really want to clean this place up and that's where it started i just wanted to clean well my wife said, well, if we're going to clean, why don't we uh, tackle all these other issues that you've been wanting to do, like the floors and paint and all this kind of stuff. And there was a there was a lull And right after Christmas, going into the new year where the studio was going to be shut down anyway. So I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy because I was like, do you realize what this is going to entail? Like, we need to take every single thing out of the studio literally everything, because we were going to do the floors and paint. And she said, all right. I said, well, this is the deal. I'll help you out, but I'm just going to be a worker bee. I said, you can design the studio. Basically, her, I said, make the studio a place where you would want to hang out. <laughs> and she went crazy. And it's beautiful now. It's beautiful. So that's uh, one thing. What else? I really got focused on my record label, which has been really amazing. I'm obviously still open for business, you know, as a recording studio, but um, the label is just taken off and it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work because it's a two-man show, pretty much. My My partner Rob is in London and I handle a lot of the recording mixing mastering I do all the artwork and so anyway so we've been doing a lot of vinyl which has been a lot of fun and selling a lot of vinyl so that's been great and I started teaching I think we we were briefly talked about that last week
1: yeah you and I were on clubhouse talking about that
0: exactly yeah so I've been teaching mixing or like recording and mixing via Zoom throughout the pandemic of 2020, which has been a lot of fun. I guess the teaching aspect of things isn't that both my parents were educators, so I grew up in in that environment. So it honestly has come pretty naturally to me. People have asked me to give drum lessons, and I, I don't do that because I don't really know what I'm doing. So it's hard for me to explain how to play drums yeah but the recording mixing end of things is it's actually a lot easier for me to teach and like I said it's it's just been a lot of fun so
1: I'm gonna go back a bit what I'm really curious about is having the involvement of of your wife on the aesthetics of the studio do you think you would have thought of the same things that she did to do to the studio
0: no, because if I show you pictures of the studio, the way I, I set it up when I went in there, and then you see the the photos of it now, clearly that's not my bag. <laughs> I mean, it's it's stunning. It feels like, um, I guess my deal with the, the recording studio for a long time, and I guess you know my vibe, I, I, I don't have a control room, it's just an open room, that's something I really like, but really my goal is to create a studio or an environment that doesn't necessarily feel like a recording studio. So probably since the last week we spoke, I got rid of a large console that I had analog console. I still have a console, but that's kind of like a hybrid deal. I got rid of a lot of gear. And so in the, in that process of redoing the studio, and this is something you will really dig, Going back to minimalism, hmm. every uh, we spent a couple of days, once the floors were done, when everything was painted, redecorated, as everything came back into the studio, she would sit me on the floor, I sat on the floor, and she'd bring a bin of cables or microphones or whatever, what have you. And I had to go through every I went through every single thing, every single adapter, RCA to quarter inch adapter, whatever, whatever it was. And I got rid of just stuff. So everything has a place in the studio. Everything works. And again, the goal is to create an environment that for me doesn't necessarily feel like your traditional recording studio. And it's, so it's a, just a really nice space to just hang out in. And it feels very, it's a very creative space. So yeah, she, she people who have come into the studio, especially people who were there before and they come after, it's like, man, it feels like a spa.
1: <laughs> what are the highlights of that? Like the floors, the walls, what can you talk about the, the materials used that you think bring that vibe?
0: Yeah, well, a lot of it was, okay, one big thing that we both wanted to do is get rid of plastic, like rubber-made bins and things like that. So we went around to different antique shops in our area here. This area is big on antique shops. And we found, like, if we needed storage for headphones, for instance, or extra headphones, we'd find, like, okay a nice old wooden box that looked really funky. And that's just like one example. So, um, I have <laughs> fake plants, but I have, I have light in there, but it was just easier to, to, but they look real, you know what I mean? But just again, having that, just a, a, just a nice feel to, again, everything has a purpose in there. You know what I mean? Like storage, there's great storage, great seating, but it's funny, I, I, getting rid of plastic, plastic bins and, and shelving and all this kind of stuff and bringing in wood and nice fabric just it really made a a big difference. So, and, and changing the lighting in there, it's, hmm. it's, yeah, it's a beautiful space. So, very happy.
1: What did you all do with the floors?
0: Well, okay, so the floors, originally they were like this crazy, it's a very old, building like a old mill kind of building new england mill building so the subflooring is just old wood on top of that there was what do they call it like the stuff from like the 50s and 60s like you'd find in any in kitchens or whatever linoleum so, <laughs> linoleum there you go thank you but it was all beat up and everything. So when I moved into the studio, it was just really quick. And so I just put like carpeting or like thin carpeting, you know, kind of like indoor outdoor kind of stuff, you know, it didn't really work very well. But so anyway, what we did, we ended up getting a this product that it's like a, like a peel and stick and it looks like wood and actually almost feels like wood. It's kind of crazy. Just something that we got from a, a local, it might've been Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever. And it's just peel and stick. And the good thing about it, well, it was inexpensive. It was relatively easy to do. You can cut the stuff with scissors. And yeah, so I think you know what I'm talking about.
1: In fact, if it's what I think it is, it may be the same thing I used when I had a studio in San Francisco. It's made of vinyl. It looks Mm -hmm. like wood. It's got the grooves in it like wood. But you can cut it. And it's easy to manipulate, easy to work with. and Exactly. uh, Yeah.
0: And the the crazy thing is, is having done all of this, the room sounds better. And the most telling thing recently, I had a, a band in there and they were just cutting. Actually, there was a broken down version of the band. So it was just acoustic guitar, vocals, and the keyboardist in the band was playing accordion, flute things like that. And one, a uh, couple of tunes, he said, I really, I really want that kind of foot stomping sound, you know, like, yeah, you know, the deal. And I was like, yeah, I got you covered, man. Let's, let's, let's just try it. You know? And I, he literally was just, I set up a microphone, I think on these couple of takes, he was just cutting guitar. So I had a microphone on the acoustic and he was just stomping and it is the most beautiful. It sounds like an old wood floor, you know? So I guess the thing is is it's nice that there's that the old subfloor, old wood subfloor underneath everything. And then again, you know, there's the linoleum on top of that, and then now this new stuff. But it it just resonates in, in, in such a, a really nice way. And again, I I just kinda lucked out. I thought the room sounded pretty good beforehand. But it all—it just kind of lacked something. I felt like I was I had to work a little bit harder in order to get the sounds that I wanted. And as soon as we were done, I just brought in, started bringing instruments in, brought a snare drum in, hit it. And I was like, "Oh man, it's over with. It, it's 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 on now, <laughs> yeah." So,
1: game on, man.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Recently, you sent me a couple records to check out. That I'm assuming they're on your label. Mm -hmm. Were those recorded, and one of them was the single, The Iguana, which, uh, let me pull up here. Yeah, The Iguana.
0: Yeah, B-T-A-L-C Big Band, yep.
1: So, was that recorded in the room after it was completed?
0: No, I'll tell you this, the drums and organ were recorded in that room. So, that was a pandemic special. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a tune where every horn player sent me their file. So all that stuff was recorded in people's bedrooms, living rooms, whatever. So the, the, the tune started out with my I'm actually playing drums on that tune. And my good friend Darby, who does a lot of keyboard work for my label, and we just went into the studio and recorded just organ and drums. And then I sent that to the bass player And it was literally just Google drive back and forth. Every time I'd get something, I'd create, I call it a working mix or a tracking mix. And then I would upload that, update the Google drive. And whoever was up next, you know, be it guitars or sax one, sax two, sax three. And I just kept building the mix as I was getting parts in. So by the time I got the very last part, which is probably like the percussion, It probably took me about maybe 10 or 20 minutes to complete the mix, and it was that's it. So it was interesting.
1: That is interesting. First off, it sounds amazing, and I never would have guessed that it was done in that fashion. And I'll include a link in the show notes audience for you to check it out because I heard it and my jaw hit the floor because I was like, oh my gosh, the vibe on this is just, it just pulled me right in. And I think... Mm. You know, and and we don't really typically go into this discussion, but I, I will say this. I think because you were doing it in that way, that building the mix along the way, it was getting people to make or shape their parts to what they heard, as opposed to just blowing everything that they had right on tape and letting you sort it out. They made decisions that were instrumental, if you will, excuse the pun, to the mix.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, that was my my goal, especially obviously during this whole period we've been living through is the importance of giving whoever is up to bat next a really good mix to work with. I mean, it, it'd be very easy for me to just bring a part in, drop it in and just send it on its way. But I I really want people to have something to vibe to. So I spend time, the drums, bass, drums, guitars, organ, whatever is, is the, the bed there. I mean, it's going to sound like the record. And, and you know how I work anyway. I don't like to rely on the mix for things to sound good. So when I'm recording, I make sure that the sound of the drums going in, with the sound of whatever is going in, is we have a good bottom, we have a good basement, I guess. Obviously there were some challenges for sure doing it this way because not every track I got was probably acoustically ideal but you'd be pretty amazed if you looked at my mix in terms of what I did with the horns for instance I didn't do much I kind of let let it be what it what is going to be and I figured well if I kind of let me just hear what it sounds like once it's all thrown together it might might sound pretty cool And, I mean, to be honest, like, a lot of that has to do with the players and the arrangement. I mean, it's just the the great writing, great players. At that point, it's on me to mess up. So, I just try not to do too much.
1: Yeah, when you have a great player and they just throw up a mic in the most simplistic of circumstances, I find that as long as it's not distorting, you can do Mm -hmm. miracles because... The performance just trumps everything.
0: Exactly. And so, Matt, honestly, man, so a lot of that is what I spend the majority of my time when I'm teaching, I guess, or in my classes or whatever. A lot of it is getting people to realize just that. I mean, I've been recording and mixing for a long time, but I remember when I got to a point in my career when I started receiving really great recordings from other people to mix Now all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't, and you just put push up the faders and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do here? It sounds amazing. You know? <laughs> and there's obviously things to do, but that's, that's, that's it, man. How many times do we I have to say this? You get great musicians, good musicians, great musicians, really good tunes, man. Just put the mic up and as an engineer, just don't mess it up. <laughs> don't delete stuff while they're recording, you know, and you'll be all right. <laughs> So
1: let's talk about, back to the studio for a sec, Iron Wax Studios, by the way, audience. So you and your wife put the, you, you sunk a little money into getting this studio together. Now, this is a place you rent, if I recall correctly.
0: It It is, yeah, okay. it is, yes.
1: So you have to kind of draw the line or have a bit of a balance of how much you're gonna spend and where you're gonna put that money, because long-term, You don't own the building, so you're not going to be able to take that stuff out, per se. So did you guys consider that when you were making your decisions?
0: Oh, of course. But I can definitely say that if I had to leave tomorrow for whatever reason, I'm not going to feel that bad about what I have to leave behind. And what we really only things that we would have to leave behind are the paint on the walls, that flooring, which really wasn't that much uh, wasn't that expensive just more sweat equity than the actual cost of it. Mm. I built a a really cool beam that has some lighting in it above my my console. But I built that, so it probably cost me I don't know 50 bucks maybe to build that. Other than that, I can just walk out with all my gear and instruments and I'm cool. We've definitely been blessed with this space man. I mean, the the owner of the building is really cool. He's very interested in what I'm doing there. Like, especially like when, well, when bands were coming more frequently before all this, he, he would just come hang out and talk to people. Hey, where are you from? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a great situation. I've been in some other studios. I know you have as well. And um, I don't lose any sleep at night about this spot at all. So I'm very, very lucky.
1: That's, that's fantastic. And yeah, that, that flooring, once again, I think it's like two bucks a square foot, if that, and it comes in a long
0: box, right? Yes, exactly. You know, the stuff, man, I'm telling you, cause I, you know, I've seen people spend some money on flooring in, in studios and, I figured, man, let me just try this first. We didn't want to spend a lot of money. And and actually, Kim was the one who hit me. My wife, Kim, hit me to this this flooring. Man, what, what do we have to lose? Let's just try it out. If it doesn't work, it's going to be better than what's on there. And I'm telling you, it is incredible. Incredible. Yeah.
1: And it's also cool to just, just to get, once again, back to your wife, just interjecting her objective viewpoint into the aesthetic. Because I think we... As engineers, we all know where, where I'm going with this. We look at it differently. And somebody from the outside can say, well, is this a place I want to be in? Is this a place I want to spend time in? And she obviously brought that to the table for you.
0: Exactly, exactly, man. I mean, now, Matt, every time I go to the studio, or almost every time I go to the studio, I send her a text. And I say, thank you for this beautiful space. I really do, man. I mean, it, it's, I can just go in there I just sit down and I can just get to work. There's no clutter. There's no, oh, I wish I, I would have done this. Or, it's just beautiful. I can find everything I need to within seconds. And again, it's it's just a very creative space. And everybody who comes in there, again, a lot of musicians come into, into the studio and they go to other studios. And the comments that we get about the place are just it's it's pretty amazing you know so again i'm i'm just i couldn't have done it by myself no way no way
1: the open concept studio i think that that as a concept might be very odd for some because i think we're so used to the traditional control room separated between the live room with a piece of glass or some kind of isolation and the first time I encountered kind of a, an open concept like that was my friend Craig Schumacher, who's worked with Dvochka and Calexico and Nico Case, and, and that's down in, in Tucson. I went down to see Craig and he played me some stuff because I was like, wow, this is why those Calexico records sound the way they do. There's a vibe, there's an openness, and what I like is the communication ability. You remove the pushing the button, uh, yeah, can you do another take? kind of a concept and that fishbowl thing it's like hey we're all in this together
0: exactly yeah without a doubt what there's there's so many aspects of the the open room studio vibe that I really dig but one that is I really dig the most probably is say what you know after you've recorded a band they got rhythm tracks down or whatever and then it's time for say uh, vocals or a uh, guitar solo or whatever One thing about my studio, I don't have like a a lounge. Mm. So everything is in the room. There's a fridge in there. There's a microwave. There's a little bar where people can go make tea and all this kind of stuff. But everything is in that room. So what happens is, is when someone is recording vocals and the rest of the band is just kind of hanging out in there, everyone is respectful and being quiet. You know, occasionally you have to, you know, yo, we're recording. But the thing is, everyone is engaged in that take or in that experience. You know, it's not like when you're in the control room and the singer's out there in the the live room cutting vocals and everyone's on Instagram or Facebook or just kind of chatting it up, telling jokes or whatever, and everyone's got to be quiet. And the person performing, that's what it is. They're performing for people. I mean, mean, it may just be your, your, your bandmates, but it brings a little something out. And uh, there's that kind of that immediate feedback that you can get from, oh, when they sing a killing line and and everyone in the band, you can see them reacting, you know, you're getting a reaction from people. So the thing is, what I find is the band is more engaged throughout the entire recording process this way. And of course, I have to, it's always a, a fun part, going back to the education side of things, is it, you know, you get someone in oh, well, there's no separation. You know, I was like, no, trust me, there's plenty of separation. I love, I love like, just, hey, record a verse, just, you know, or, or a section or whatever. Just, let's, let's see what it sounds like. And then I'll solo the guitar and the rhythm guitar. And they're like, wait, where are the drums? Like And they're in the guitar and the drums are right next to each other. Like, wait, how do you do that? I said, man, you pick the right microphone, you know, you whatever, it's, it's all possible, you know, so I mean, and if there's any bleed, it may sound like a headphone bleed at best. so
1: yeah, that's interesting. And, and what happens, I think, in that case is the band becomes the audience almost. And I think a lot of people would agree that recording's done in live settings. And there's, you know, aside from recording quality, but just energy and vibe alone change when there's an audience. So if your band is your audience and everybody's engaged, I think that that really has an effect on the spirit of the recording, which is what I, I know that it was done in a COVID style fashion, but I'm still stunned at that Iguana single, and then the following record, which the name is is slipping my mind right now, but... Oh, the
0: Family album, right? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I, yeah. I don't
1: know. Well, you've, you've definitely got a, a a mixing style and a vibe that, and I know I keep saying vibe, how many times am I going to say that in this show, but, oh my gosh, it, it's just, it really, really got me in a big way, so whatever you're doing you're you're obviously doing something right and i heard it and i was like oh shit i got to i got to my game
0: nah man well okay so like i said man i mean we've both been doing this a long time right and just i'd say i, I want to say recently this is something i always kind of known but i've really embraced i just do my thing man I love listening to your podcast. I love listening to Lidge's podcast. You know what I mean? I get a lot of inspiration from that. But it's so easy to go down the, the YouTube wormhole of, oh, what plugin are they using? Or what what kind of technique are they using? All this kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, what am I doing? Like, I've made a successful career as a musician by saying, screw what and if everybody else thinks about my playing. I don't care. I'm just doing my thing. So why am I not doing that as an engineer, as a mixer, as a producer? So it's it's definitely been recently I've fully embraced that. I've fully embraced that. Like this is how I hear music. Going back to the whole teaching vibe, it's like oh man, like you're you're giving away all your secrets. What secrets, man? I stole this stuff from somebody else, and I just <laughs> you know I just grab whatever I dug and left what I I didn't dig, you know what I mean? So, yeah, man, that's that's my, my whole thing. It's, it's me, man, you talk about vibe, I'm all vibe, man. I'm all vibe.
1: A hundred percent. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as Check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with sampling makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. Sampley.app, check it out. I want to talk a little bit about the multiple things that you're doing. The teaching thing, which we have talked about one-on-one in Clubhouse with with each other. Uh, Can you talk to me about what role that plays in the studio, in your income streams, in your in the bigger picture? Like, how important is it to you?
0: Well, it's. I'll be honest. The teaching thing has been it fluctuates. And in a way, I'm able to control that. So if I'm getting really busy at, you know, things with the label, for instance, then I can just kind of schedule people a little further out. Or if a a new inquiry comes in, like, okay, I can either do that this week or maybe next month or whatever. But it's just another cog, I guess, in the grand scheme of what I'm doing. But like I said, I really, really enjoy it. You know, the one thing... Also with, with the teaching, aside from like the additional income that it brings, it really forces you to look at what you're doing as a engineer, or I guess even if you're teaching as a a musician or whatever, or vocalist, it really got me thinking about what I'm doing, you know, like, okay, I'm teaching this now. I have to explain it's sometimes it's really hard to explain things that you that you've just been doing as out of habit so for me it it has just been an amazing experience something to add to what I do overall as um I don't even know what I am I'm just a a person a lover of music (laughs) who makes who's able to make a living doing it so
1: when you are teaching what from a technical standpoint what does that involve
0: oh when I am teaching yeah like you know what are
1: the tools that you're utilizing to teach
0: Mostly teaching via Zoom and then utilizing the screen share functionality of of Zoom. A lot of the uh, class time isn't actually listening to audio per se, but I use a a mix template. And a lot of what I'm doing, depending on on the uh, student, I guess, but a lot of what I'm doing is explaining how I use that mix template. Actually, maybe before that, how I set it up Hmm. in terms of, yeah, just explaining the routing, things like that. And it's, well, I'll tell you real quick. I know that you've been talking about mixed templates for a while, you know, with (laughs) guests and and yourself. And uh, I really love using analogy during classes. So one that I, I bring up to probably more experienced people. So, you know, back in the day, we used to record and go in, into recording studios and and it would be kind of like, oh, uh, you go into a recording studio and you record an album, you start mixing or whatever. You get a, a really nice mix of a song and say, oh man, it's time to go to lunch. And when you leave, as you're out eating, the uh, assistant comes in and rips all the channels out of the console, pulls all the patch bays and unscrews all the rack gear and throws it in the closet and then you walk back into the studio and then you have to start again, start from zero. And I said, that's what you're doing. When you open up a DAW, like you're just starting from zero, but you already put in all this work. So that's the, the benefit of a mixed template. So it's just little stuff like that. And so that can, for the less experienced person, I mean, that can take a little bit of time just explaining, And then there's always a back and forth discussion on how do I calibrate that? And why do I calibrate this? And what's that plugin about this and that? So I have some students that were come back week after week after week for months. That's a lot to touch on.
1: That is. And, you know, it's interesting if you think about it. Let's think of two very successful mixers. Bob Clearmountain, Chris Lord-Alge. Yep. Both have their own version of a template. Routing happens the same way in the SSL. I don't know if Bob's this way, but Chris's uh, hardware is all set to yeah. the same settings. They don't change it. If they want a different sound from the same compressor, they go to a different one in the rack. Right. So it's kind of like the same thing in hardware form. So the template, and, and I think one could argue, actually, before I continue on, one could argue that their system is made for repeatability, efficiency, predictable results. And that's what the mix template in a DAW essentially does.
0: Exactly, man. I mean, a, a lot of people who who come to me, maybe they're, again, maybe they're not the most experienced recordists or mixers or whatever, but a lot of them play instruments. So going back to the thing saying like, well, you show up at the gig with your pedal board and your guitar and you plug into an amp. What do you do at the end of the night? You just unplug your in and out. You put the pedal board in a case and then you, you split. Do you sit there and like zero all your pedals out, unplug every patch cable, <laughs> you know, put, put them in a, in a bag and then, and then leave? No, man. Like, so it's that same thing. And what people are really surprised about listening to my work is that, man, what, what did you do this time? And man, I didn't change anything. Every style of music I mix, record, mix, whatever, goes through the template. And so the thing is what I tell people, the benefit of that is like you said, predictability. And it's also easy for me to, once I bring the audio in, I route it to where I route things to, it's easy for me to hear an issue because, hey, I've mixed hundreds of tunes in this mix template. And so I know what should work. Coming back to my friend Darby, amazing organist, keyboardist. One time we were hanging out in the studio and we were talking about organ specifically. He said, well, you know, Jimmy Smith has this sound and Jack McDuff has this sound. He showed me draw bars, pulling draw bars. I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's the sound. You know what I mean? He said, the thing is, it's more than just people having their sound. Back in the day, people used to travel around and not a lot of people traveled with a B3 organ. So you'd show up at a, at a spot and you could walk up to the organ, any venue, any studio, and you pull your draw bars, you pull your sounds then you know from a good experience with your own organ or whatever, at a, this such and such studio, you know what that organ should sound like. Now, if you hold the draw bars and you're like, wait a minute, something's off here, then you can manipulate it to or figure out the problem to get your sound. Mm-hmm. For me, it's that's the same thing with the mix template. I just bring the stuff in, I hit play, I listen. All right. And it should, in a perfect world, Pretty much sound, once I run it through all my routing, you know, all my, my whole thing, it should sound pretty close to a record at that point. And if it doesn't, well, what, what's, what's the problem? And then I can then suss it out. But again, it's all about workflow, man. I'm, I'm trying to work. It doesn't take me long to mix, mix tunes anymore. So I've done all the hard work getting prepared. So that's what I try and um, uh, teach people. You don't have to beat yourself up over this. Hopefully you can trust the recording end of it, trust the musicians, trust the the, the tunes, and then just you know, put it together.
1: It's interesting too, now that I've become so accustomed to template work, that the idea of starting from zero just really makes me go, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't have oh. time to do that. And here's a a thought too, kind of in a similar vein. If you're doing some work from home audience and you you like your system and how you work, but you find yourself at somebody else's studio and you need to work, two things you could do. Obviously, you can always bring your own computer and plug it into their system. And sometimes that from just a connection standpoint might be a little challenging. So the other thought too is is you can make a boot drive of your system, bring it in and boot up onto their computer and bring your iLock and you're you're good to go you've got all the it's like bringing your studio within the studio right all your favorite plugins all your favorite settings quick keys all of that business as long as the macs or the pcs that you're using are not so i don't know how they do it on pc actually but at least on the mac side as long as the Macs aren't too far off in in generation you're going to be okay
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you walk into a studio that's rocking like a 2007 uh, <laughs> Cheese Mac Grater Pro, you, yeah, yeah, Cheese, yeah, you, you may run into some issues, but chances are these days everyone's pretty much trying to s- stay on top of things. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and there, I say that, and there's certainly, there's going to be some challenging times when, you know, now as we move towards Apple with their whole, Change from Intel, that's going to be a, oh, yeah. a big bugaboo for a lot of people, I think. So, surviving, finances, COVID's an obvious topic and an obvious monkey wrench in the whole, in our whole system here. But other than that, have you found a groove financially, or do you feel like, is there a struggle still?
0: No, I, I've definitely, uh, no, I'm not going to say I, we mm. have found a groove my uh, wife, Kim, she manages the studio, but she also has a, a business of her own, uh, which is doing pretty well, doing well, I, should, I shouldn't say pretty well, it's doing well. And I've been lucky in that for quite some time now, I haven't relied solely on my, my money as a musician playing live shows. The studio has been doing well for quite some time now, and again, I've been lucky in that the m- amount of money that I that we do pay for the studio is. I, I've told a few people what that is, and and they're always shocked. So, I've, again, <laughs> I'm I'm very lucky on that on that tip. And then going into 2020, I'm imagining you experienced this as well, Matt. I hope you did at least. Everyone uh, became a, an, an engineer overnight because Be weren't gigging and everyone needed an outlet. So I'm, I'm sure uh, DAW sales and interfaces, all that kind of stuff went through the roof. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but a lot of people realize that I guess that's the one thing about making things look easy it's like, oh yeah, I, I've been to L Studio or whatever. And not just myself; I'm sure a lot of experienced engineers have de- dealt with this as well. I mean, that's what we were trying. That's our goal: is to make it look easy. We want people to be happy with the end product with very little hiccups. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I can do that. I'll buy a microphone and then this some DAW, this DAW and some plugins. I'll be good. Well, yeah, you people soon realize it's not that easy. So. Luckily I've gotten a good amount of work during this just as a mixing and mastering. And then the label side of things uh, has been really interesting because we have been selling vinyl and I'm we're actually pretty profitable as a label selling vinyl out of all all things. I know, right? I mean it's it's crazy.
1: Well, it doesn't shock me because I went to a Goodwill auction site, I bought an old Pioneer turntable, fixed the parts that were broken, and it is a mainstay of my listening setup on a daily basis, and I'm buying, I'm buying not only used vinyl, but I'm also buying new vinyl too, right. Most, mostly jazz reissues, I have to say, and some, some rock records like the Black Pumas, which is one of my favorite bands, yeah, bought no, their...
0: Do you know the Black Pumas? Oh, yeah. Adrian. Yeah, man. Adrian's a good friend of mine, man. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, man. They they are just... Uh, yeah, I could, I could do a whole podcast on my love of that band.
0: Man, have you had Adrian... You haven't had Adrian on? No. From the Black... Oh, man. I'm connecting you, man. He's a fantastic engineer, man. Like, crazy. Like... Yeah, he's okay. All right, so sorry, I didn't mean the the, no, 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 no,
1: no. You got me hooked now. I want, I want, I want to have him on because obviously, because he's he's an engineer, but of my love of that band, and and oh yeah. So, but back to the back to the label. That obviously that takes a lot of effort to do. That takes money to do, right?
0: It does, man. It does. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work for sure. But I I love it. It does take money. But like I mentioned before, I'm pretty much recording everything. I'm mixing everything for the label. Mm. I started mastering everything and I do all the artwork. So sweat equity. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but I, I love it. And I, I'm lucky to have a really great partner. Uh, my partner, Rob Fleming, who is in one of the bands on, on the label Crowd Company We connected years ago and yeah, we just, we work really well together. We have a great publicist, couple of publicists actually. But the, the cool thing is, is, I mean, we couldn't do it without the support of the people who are buying the music. I mean, we're like literally like selling out of pressings you know, first pressings we're going in second pressings of things. I think part of it is the time that we're living in right now It's interesting. I watched this documentary last night about Blockbuster. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's-
1: Oh my God. I I did too. Actually, it was two nights ago because I watched a different show last night, but I watched the Blockbuster thing
0: two nights ago. Right? That's incredible. I I, I highly suggest it to to everyone to to check it out, but it's kind of like, I feel as, as great as the amount of access we have to things via the internet and, you know, all this digital information, this and that. I still think that people, they want to hold things. They want to own things. And then now, you know, all of us living through this pandemic and being even more disconnected from our neighbors, our friends, our family, just a little something just that you can hold on to, to make you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm having this experience or it could be it's like man I'm just I'm just holding on to reality or whatever it is you know so mm-hmm. I I mean that's just my my take on it but if you would have told me like a few years ago that I'd be like running this label and we're just like slinging vinyl like crazy like I would have thought you were crazy but
1: I don't know was there a learning curve at all for you for mastering for vinyl
0: a little bit so. I was lucky I came into some really awesome monitors or a very amazing upgrade to what I, what I had for years. So all of a sudden I was able to hear like everything. So on a whim, I had a, a song mastered by a very well-known guy in LA. So on a whim, I said, you know what, man, I have these great monitors and I understand. I understand the mastering and I I could figure out how to reverse engineer a master. Mm-hmm. So let me try this. So that's what I did. And I sent the uh, version of a song that we put out on the label, mastered by, you know, this guy. I sent a new version to my partner in London. I said, hey man, check this out. He said, wow, yeah, that sounds good. You know, like, so it's, it's uh, you know, there's a little something here. I was like, oh, okay, well, hold on maybe about two or three versions. I sent a new master and he was like, I can't hear the difference. I was like, all right, cool. I'm good. We're going all in house. You know what I mean? So now that was a digital master. That was a digital master. Hmm. And then I spent a little time researching because I'd never made a a vinyl master. So I just did a little, little research, checked things out. And I was lucky in that I still had some vinyl masters digital versions of vinyl masters you know that some phenomenal guys made so i kind of did the same thing i just kind of reversed i looked at what they were doing i listened i actually put some vinyl on in the studio to okay like all right let me let me get a sense of levels and like where things are you know man and then we i sent some things out to, to be pressed and after that i got a The first one back is like yeah I think I could do a little bit better job on that after Mm. that man I'm fully confident I'll I'll master anything on vinyl now it's uh, no problem no problem
1: yeah and of course for the new mastering engineer who's never done a vinyl master what's funny is is it's not a bunch of individual songs you got to send in a side a and a side b exactly which is you forget you get so used to the individual song well we're almost out of time But I I have to ask because you said it. What speakers did you buy?
0: Wow. Okay. So I didn't buy them per se, but (laughs) so they're 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 a little older. They were a gift. I'll 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 be straight up with you. But they're Blue Sky Sat twelves, S A T twelves. When they came out years ago, they weren't the cheapest things. I mean, they're probably what you would compare them to now are the like the like ATCs or something. You know, like. Mm I would never have been able to afford them, put it that way. It costs more than like a lot of people's cars, I guess, you know. But anyway, a, a very good friend of mine had them and said, hey, come by. I was down in Brooklyn. We were doing our, our residency, Bowl Live. And he said, man, come by and, and pick up these Blue Skies. It'd be great for your studio. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool. No problem. Great. I had no idea how big they were. Holy cow. So they're two big monitors and then a subwoofer. So the the monitors themselves, I think they're, are they 12s or 15s in there?
1: I would assume 12. because of the name, they're 12s.
0: Yeah, they're 12s. I'm, see, yeah, you're right, you're right. And then the subwoofer is a 15, but they are big and heavy. So anyway, I get them to the studio and get them all hooked up. And well, they weren't necessarily free. They needed some work. So I uh, called up my, my studio tech and and he kind of went through them and actually got in touch with the the guy who designed the speakers like spoke to him on the phone. He said, "You got what? Oh, those? No, you're gonna want to change this out and change this out because you know the the components that he would have wanted to use at the time didn't exist. So now, so uh, the amps have been upgraded, all this kind of stuff. And man, I'm telling you, these things, whoa, they're lights out. They sound phenomenal, phenomenal." And my tech was just love them. He said, cause he's a very uh, knowledgeable person, you know, in terms of he used to run a studio himself. He's like, man, you got a a really good deal here. So yeah, like I said, I can, they're not Mm. fatiguing and I, I'm able to hear stuff that I wasn't, it was amazing to hear my own mixes for better or for worse. Uh, A lot of times for worse. Cause I was like, oh, what was I thinking? Like, (laughs) cause Mm. now I can hear but that really gave me the confidence to really jump into mastering. The mix has been coming out really great, but uh, in terms of mastering, I've been I'm very happy, very happy with them.
1: And you got a big size room?
0: No, it's a decent size room. I mean, to be honest, it would be a large control room. Like yeah. I've been in, actually, I've been in studios with control rooms that are like twice the size of my studio, but it's big enough. It's a little over 500 square feet. Oh, so it's, okay. It's, no, it's it's a high ceilings though it works. I don't, there's, there's something about it. I didn't do a lot of work on it and treatment and all this kind of stuff. It works. And I'm happy with it.
1: Did you master the stuff you sent me?
0: I didn't. Wow. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mixed it.
0: i mixed it. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah I loved it. Thank well, you. once again, audience, I'll put that in the show notes. So just to recap, I mentioned Ironwax and that's, you know, ironwaxstudios.com, right?
0: ironwax.com
1: ironwax.com okay what about I mean we can't I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the band Soul Live so in a nutshell obviously you're a bit on hiatus right yes,
0: yes and do, do,
1: you, do you see something happening post-COVID
0: oh yeah yeah we're, we're, we're definitely going to be uh, active post-COVID but our post-COVID is possibly looking like 2022 okay and honestly that's Probably just because of the the size of the venues that we're mm, accustomed to playing, I guess that, and we're all kind of busy. You know, we've made ourselves obviously busy throughout this whole thing, so we're not in a rush to go back too soon. You know, we're we're not we don't really feel like being the guinea pigs. <laughs> so, got it. We're we're cool. We're cool to wait until it till it, it's right. So okay.
1: Well, you don't go anywhere, but we're going to wrap it up here with the audience. So, Alan, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's great to talk to you, and it was great to hang out with you on Clubhouse prior to this interview. Sorry, audience. I'll I'll make that conversation available at a later date. But for now, great to see you, man, and I'm glad you're doing well.
0: Man, you too, man. Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate it, man. Everything you do. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, you take care.
0: You too.
1: here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Great to have him back. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. If you like the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave a positive review. That really helps the show out and I would sincerely appreciate it. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes, of course, Anne-Marie Plough on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith with his lovely voice there at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And until next time, my friends, take care.